This episode of the Do North Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Aquarius Home Services and by Lakes Gas. Hey there, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. Propane, it's clean, efficient fuel produced right here in the United States. Schedule your propane service with a friend. Lakes Gas, a family-owned provider serving the upper Midwest for more than 60 years. 54 convenient locations in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Now with offices in North Dakota and South Dakota, too. Lakes Gas employees live in the communities they serve, so you can expect personalized service from professionals. Oh, and the Lakes Gas offers competitive pricing without all the extras that tend to drive up fuel prices. Safe, dependable service. Lakes Gas, the right choice for your home, business, or farm. Visit lakesgas.com and join the family. Spring is here, and that means hot weather will soon be coming. Are you ready for the heat? I am. Is your home? That's the question. If you're like me and you like your home to stay comfy and cool all summer long, then I recommend talking to my friends at Aquarius Home Services. From AC tune-ups to repairs, Aquarius Home Services is here to help. Their trusted cooling and heating experts will go above and beyond to provide you with a five-star experience from start to finish to make sure your AC unit is ready for the heat. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended, and I recommend them. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. Welcome to another episode of the Do North Outdoors podcast. My name is Travis Frank. I am one of your hosts, Natalie Dillon, sitting next to me. Natalie, how are you Hello. today? Oh, I'm doing great. Yeah. Brandon Morton, our producer. Brandon, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing, Travis? I'm 68%. How can we get you to 100 so we can just get this show rocking? Well, it's still, I think that's like average, right? Isn't 70% yeah. average? Something like I average. mean, if we're talking grades, that's a failing score. That's yeah. like a... It's a little get, then I get to do it again. It's a little do you need blow. to pet Daisy quick before we get going? <laughs> well, life moves fast and I'm trying to keep up with it. So um, there's just, it's, it's a busy time of the season. It is. Yeah. And I want to do as much as I possibly can. And... Um, the reality is you don't get to do everything all the time. I have been out of the office for a couple of weeks and I'm trying to catch up right now. And it's made, I'm not complaining, Mm -hmm. but you just ask. So I'm just saying, I'm trying to, I'm trying to catch up. Well, I got to ask now, since you brought it up, we'll probably dive into it a little bit more on our next episode, but you did just get back from the boundary waters. Yeah. What what was the highlight from your trip? Um, it's hard. Like when people ask what it's like up there and I just say, it's better than I deserve. You know, like that's, that's just how I sum it up. I don't know how else to do it any better. I haven't been in a couple of years, three years to be exact, the same group of guys that I started going with over 20 years ago, we went back and we kind of called it last call. Um, and we've been, some of my, a couple of my friends had been going with their dads when they were like eight, nine years old. And that's 30 years ago. Now we have kids that are that old. And we, a lot of us haven't been able to go every year, but the group has gone now together for almost 25 years that we've done this. And we got the main, pretty much all of us to go schedule wise this past week. And we just feel like moving forward, our kids are ready to start joining us. So instead of nine of us going with just a bunch of dads, leaving our kids at home, it might be three of us dads bringing a few kids along to give them the same experiences. And you know, you just sit around 
that wilderness and you can't, I mean, it just, you get a little clear thinking, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, we talked about how we want to bring kids in and how we want to introduce them to this. And sometimes the conversation leads towards an easier route. And then all of a sudden we come back and say, our kids don't have to struggle anymore. Yeah, like yeah. it's important to struggle And sorry for blowing your speaker, Brandon, <laughs> but <laughs> like I get passionate about it because you don't get to appreciate some of the best things in this world when it's handed to you. Yeah. And so that's why when you bust your butt to get on an island way up in the wilderness, it means more. And I want, I want my kids to experience that. It's a great lesson. Yeah. I'm sure. Sh- was this Father's Day? Were you up there for Father's Day? Or no, nope, were you back? Got okay. back. Well, happy belated Father's Thank Day you. to you. And the, that. and the dads listening. And what good yeah, to all encouragement the, and, and inspiration. All for, the leaders out there. For, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's get in with our guests today because this this is a... I've been re- reporting and doing stories now for like 10 years here for doing North Outdoors. And I consider it a privilege, but I've met some amazing people, inspiring people. Two of them are on our show today, guests, Josh and Bree Douglas. And I just enjoyed the day that I got to spend with them. But I think what really stood out to me was the fact that they're tackling their journey together and they're, they're doing this together. And they called it Life in the Bass Lane, which is a video series that you know about this, mm-hmm. Natalie, but that's what we called the story too. It recently aired on Do North Outdoors. If you Missed it. I'm guessing there'll be a repeated episode coming up again soon. I hope you get to tune in. But Josh and Bree, I know you've got a hectic schedule. I think from what I understand today was not a hectic day and you've been able to uh, take a minute off the water to join us. And we appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much again for uh, for having us on. And uh, yeah, busy, busy summer, but uh, nice to take a day at home in the middle of it and enjoy it. That's for sure. How many, how many days in a season are you and Bree on the road, Josh? Um, well, that's probably a better question for her. I mean, most, um, most of these questions actually would be better for Bree now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to assume there's nine to t- nine to 12 <laughs> tournaments. So probably 12, we probably 15 weeks. If yeah. I had to get, if I had to add it all up. I mean, about, it's about five months, four to five months yeah. totaling. Yeah. And so for people who maybe are, are, don't follow along, you know, the tournament schedule so closely, give us an update of, or kind of an overview of where you are in terms of your season right now in this year. Yeah, we are, this is my second season fishing the Bassmaster Elite Series. And right now we are a little more than midway through. We get our, we kind of got a break now for the next really month, month and a half. And then, uh, then we, we start our Northern swing which would include like st Clair and uh, and new york along the canadian borders uh and that'll wrap up the that'll wrap up the season and bring us into fall so i was just looking at, at your schedule earlier today and i i thought just kind of what you mentioned like oh there's a nice long break in here they've got over a month off how nice but is, is that the reality of it or, or what are you guys doing to stay busy what else do you have going on in this this you know quote unquote break that you have right now yeah. Um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm guiding a lot. I'm guiding a lot, uh, breeze at home doing. I'm just catching up on house stuff. And uh, whenever I get an opportunity to get out on the water with Josh, then, um, you know, I have, I'm busy editing any of that footage or just general business stuff, dealing with sponsors and finances and all the, 
well, this stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll do a garden. We'll yeah, do. and getting a garden going. Finally, oh. great. Wait, yeah. wait, flowers or vegetables or both? Veg- vegetables for now. I'm going to start there. And if vegetables go good, then, I, then I'm going to tackle flowers. Nice. Flowers can come later. Yeah. Josh, yeah. When, when we were up visiting with you, we both realized that we shared the same agate hunting passion. <laughs> and so we've been texting photos of agates back and forth. Have you found any more monsters? Oh, oh yeah, I I'm, I'm big into it, man. You, I, you I, I didn't discover. Fire, yeah, sir. you, you started it, and because <laughs> of you, now like Andy Young and Joel Willard and everybody's becoming liabilities to me because they're searching rocks around me all the time because I taught them all how to look for them too. So they're they're finding, and we live in like the mecca, you know. So, you do, you really yeah. do. Yeah. But there's there's gravel pits, and of course, Malax itself. We find them on. We like to go to Lake Superior. Any chance mm-hmm. we get, that's always been our favorite place to go. But mm-hmm. uh, we, I mean, just this morning, we had to take some stuff to the dump that we had been, you know, some old doors and stuff from from doing some stuff around the house, and um, we were rolling down the gravel road into the sun, picking them up as we saw them. I think we picked up. Five new ones this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Did you really? No, I, no. I wish I would have bought that hat for you. It said, We'll stop for rocks. Okay. So let's, we could talk about agates all day. We're not going to. Oh, yeah. Let's go back a, a little bit in time here because uh, I think people need to grasp a little bit about your journey. So, Josh and Bree, tell us where you grew up. Either one of you can take charge of this. And where you are today and, and kind of explain how your life has evolved into the fishing world. Go for it, Bri. Um, okay. Well, I, uh, I grew up in the cities. I grew up in Edina. Um, and from there, I kind of immediately went into the corporate world. Um, I worked for a major lender down in the cities. Um, I was a financial analyst for a really long time. And um, Josh was, you know, busy doing the tournament thing, probably we got married in 2005 and it was around that time that he started fishing tournaments in Minnesota and he was traveling a lot more. And um, then he kind of hit more of the national level and he was really traveling a lot more. And I was stuck behind a desk and I was like, well, this doesn't seem fair. How do we even this out? So we made it, you know, we worked our butts off for a couple of years to be able to financially get me to be able to go on the road and do this life that we're living right now. And um, yeah, we started that in 2017 and it's been pretty awesome ever since. And I go with them everywhere and I shoot all the video, all the photos. He maintains all of his like actual media accounts, but I'm pretty much in charge of getting him the media for the accounts. How was that, Brie, that decision for you? Like coming or coming to that decision that you could go out on the road, you know, you mentioned you had to get things, you know, tightened up financially in order to do it. But was that something that you knew you wanted to do? Were you excited about it? Did you have reservations? Like, what were you feeling, you know, leaving so much of your life behind for so much of the year to, to head out on the road? I was ready. Um, if I'm being completely honest, I was kind of miserable at what I was doing in life. Um, I just, I kind of, I kind of fell into the job that I was in. It wasn't like something I was out seeking, you know what I mean? as a young kid. And so, um, I was just kind of in it for a while. So I, I, I was very excited to get out of it. I was a little nervous just because there's so much unknown doing all of this. And, um, I mean, honestly, when we first started this, we, we were ready to put all of our stuff in storage and live in our truck camper. Like Mm -hmm. we were totally prepared to do that. And then a family member stepped up and, 
um, assisted with buying us our house and it's just been great ever since. And, um, but yeah, so now we, yeah, now we're, I mean, she was really good, really talented with the camera. So it wasn't like it was just uh, a plan of let's get out. Like she was, she was good. And my sponsors were taking note of the content that we were delivering at that level. So like with any small business, uh, similar to when I, you know, quit Bart, Bart, you know, to go back, I'm, I'm originally from Shakopee and um, grew up in Shakopee. I always wanted to be a pro fisherman, did a lot in the marketing and hospitality industry right out of high school and just kind of really fell in love with the, you know, I wanted to do the the fishing aspect there. So, you know, I took to the social media stuff right away as a way to promote my business and what I was doing. And then Brie naturally kind of, I remember just bringing her a couple of things and saying, you know, marketing managers are asking for video and they want this and they want that. And she could just kind of figure out how to do it. And she'd sit there and edit a video and it was good. And then, you know, she just got good at it. And we started to see, you know, the opportunity for us to provide content for our sponsors uh, made the package all the better. So it, it definitely became, uh, you know, if we want to do this, we need to go and, and do it now. And that, and to be dead honest, that was the hardest part. Like the fishing and all that, you have good tournaments, you have bad tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was being gone for five, six weeks at a time, not seeing Bree, not seeing the dogs, um, you know crappy hotels, all that, where if you're able to make it a, a team thing and travel together, I mean, we, we, we've all three have seen so much now doing it that it, it just kind of made sense. We always said we, we were, we were going to lose some money right away, but at the same time we said we'd live rich. And in the end, it all just was kind of paying off. When somebody asks you that, that maybe hasn't met you yet, what do you guys do? How do you answer that question to them? What do you tell them? Like, what's your, is it a company title that you have? I'm just a pro bass fisherman. And I'm just <laughs> a professional. That's all, I, that's all I'll ever be. I'm pro. a professional boat backer upper. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw that in your bio and I loved it immediately. Yeah. yeah. That's good. She's better that's at true. backing that's up good. a boat than I am for sure at this point. I mean, she does it in the dark with the bright lights at the elites and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, you know, do a lot of marketing stuff. Obviously, tournaments are always um, the priority. I've guided for a long time, guided before I ever fished tournaments, and I'll guide after them. And then, of course, I like the marketing side. I like to, to um, I like to teach fishing. And between Bree and I, we have a unique skill set of being able to put out that kind of content um, to to teach our audience, not just hit them with you know fancy fishing videos and stuff like that, but actually teach people how to be a better uh, angler and to be dead honest, that's why any of us professional fishermen have a job in the first place. It's because we can teach people uh, how to fish better. I think that's such a, an interesting topic. You know, we can talk about the pro bass fishing side of things, but the, the topic of the content creation and social media, it's something we talk about a lot. It's, you know, everyone, it seems like can kind of have this love hate relationship with it. You know, we're, we're here all on it. And, you know, there's, of course, the the drawbacks from it, but you mentioned like the, the teaching side of things and the marketing side of things and being able to, you know, pass on the the skills that you have and the experiences that you have to, you know, other people out there and the next generation of fishermen is definitely, you know, important and of course is going to keep the sport alive. And I guess how much right now are you using it to to teach and like what does that look like? 
Yeah, I think majority of our stuff that we put out is is to teach, um, to have substance mm-hmm. behind it. I mean, having a company like Shields as our title sponsor is, is nice because it gives us an avenue to talk to your just everyday fishermen, your families, your, your weekend fishermen, um, people that are just looking for that information like I once was or still am every day trying to figure out how, how to be a better a better fisherman. So I think everything that we put out 90, 90% at least is geared towards teaching people how to get, whether it's more out of their equipment, whether it's, um, you know, tactics for catching smallmouth bass throughout the different times of year, or when we're down in Florida, you know, uh, largemouth in the spring or winter months or something like that. And just really teaching people that's where we've gotten our following from. We have a very loyal group of people that follow for that kind of stuff. And again, that that's the goal when, when it's all done is to, you know, go down as somebody in the Midwest area that can give uh, quality, quality content and really teach people how to be better, better fishermen in the end. What are some of the questions that your followers ask you? What are they trying to learn when they reach out to you? Oh, the sky's the limit. Um, I wish that I wish that when I was a kid, the internet was available for me to ask pros what uh, all the billions of questions that I I had to ask. But it's just you, you know, anything from electronics to how you manage a practice to what the bites like on Lake Malax to how to be a a pro bass fisherman. Um, you know, to what recipe was that that Brie made last <laughs> night? Just it's it varies so much, and what. Um, people are asking, and there's so many ways now to get a, to get a hold. It's actually a full-time job to try to keep up with, uh, you know, from direct messages to messenger, to text, to emails, to phone calls, to every, you know, it's just, but that's the job, you know, that's, that's what, why we get to do what we do, um, for, for a living. So it's, you know, trying to get back to as many people as possible. I'm not always the best at it. You know, when I got a bit, when I got a tournament or two tournaments back to back, sometimes it gets pushed off a couple of weeks. But uh, at the same time, I always try. That's what I was doing today, sitting down and catching up on emails and messages and and trying to answer as many people with with good quality stuff. And I think I just am a firm believer that, you know, fishermen are notorious for being liars. <laughs> and right. It's one of those things that if you really do it's my job to be better, to fish better than you. That's, that's the title. That's the actual job. My job is to outperform my competition every day. Um, whether I do that or not, that's, you know, some weekends are great. Some aren't, but that's my job. So I don't find the need to, to lie to people about, you know, products that I'm using or tactics to catch them. Um, I'm supposed to stay on the forefront of, of, you know, that's my business is catching bass. So I try to tell it like it is. And I think I've built a reputation for that. And I think that'll pay off, you know, down the line when, when, when Bree and I kind of take it more into a, you know, a marketing side, if you will, or, or more of a, a I don't want to say figure public, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like you guys, a whole, you know, host of something that you're always bringing quality content uh, to the people on a regular, a regular basis. You know, along these lines of of teaching and learning, I'm curious, you know, of course you have so much information that you can share with those, you know, looking to get better at fishing out there. But what do you do, Josh, to continue to, you know, hone your craft and and get better at at fishing and competing every, you know, every day or every year? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm always scouring the internet for videos, just like the ones that I'm putting out. Um, you know, if I don't make cuts at tournaments, then I'm watching live to see where I went wrong, what I could have done different. And of course, as you grow as a tournament angler to the to the levels that I have, you start getting a good network of fellow uh, fishermen that are like what I am on a place like Lake Malax. You know, they are. At, at their lakes and stuff. And so you, you get the opportunity to learn and, and just fish with different people and do stuff like that. Um, it gets a little tough to be honest. Once you get to the elite series level is there's a lot of information, uh, rules once the schedule is released. So, you know, as long as we're talking about a place that I don't have on the schedule, you know, then I'm always going to try to try to learn, try to get out on the water. And that's something that I just teach to Everybody in my seminars and my videos, uh, any chance I get, it's very, very important to get on the water with other people because you will learn learn things even if you feel like you're a better fisherman than they are. You're going to learn something that works for them that you can take and and you know that situation is going to arise where that's going to pay off pay off one day. But as far as like spots and all that, I think a lot of anglers really focus on that i know that's the negative of some of the questions that i get on the regular are people looking for spots i try not you know i try to help them more with what the transitions are right now what the stuff is going so that it actually helps find find fish and stuff like that because everything is subject to change you both fish and know that fishing spots just change pretty rapidly and uh technologies do too so it's just very important to be teaching people how to use their nose find fish and then they'll be able to catch them more and more. I think over my years of guiding like you, Josh, you know, taking people out, you can read pretty quickly kind of where somebody's at in their fishing journey, let's say in the experience they have. And some people just want to come out and catch a big fish. And then you can put this lure on and say, okay, cast it right there and you'll catch one. Yep. Then you have some people that legitimately want to steal your spots. <laughs> so yeah. You take them somewhere that's, you know, your, your C or D spots. <laughs> and then, yeah. No, I'm just kidding about that. Not the people that try to steal the spots. That is <laughs> common. Uh, but you get some people that want to learn. And so I grab those people and I explain where we're going and why. And you don't take them to a spot and say, here's the coordinates, throw right here, and you'll catch a fish. You explain why a fish is where it is, what it's doing, in hopes that my side of it and my hopes is that that it'll change tomorrow. The lake will be different for them the next time they go, wherever it might be, but you're helping them think and to learn. And there's so much joy in watching people figure things out and learn and then apply that. I mean, how many years have you been guiding now, Josh? Oh, a long time since roughly around the time. I mean, I basically went right into it, um, guiding some local lakes like O'Dowd and, prior lake and stuff like that around the twin cities, Lake Minnetonka. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been guiding, you know, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I've been guiding since the start. So 15 years or so. Do you, have like a, that. do you have any clients or stories that stand out to you from your years of teaching others that you're just really proud of? Yeah, there's a lot of them. I mean, that's the thing. I really, really enjoy guiding. A lot of my fellow pros, you know, use guiding as a way to make ends meet. until you know the tournaments and the sponsors take off for them and then they don't want nothing to do with it i truly truly like it and like to make the time um to do it a lot of my clientele are just return clientele at this point 
Um, you had mentioned, you know, fishing spots. I kind of got it good. I only take out of state trips. So you have to travel in from out of state, um, for me to take you, for me to take you out. And that's for a lot of reasons. One, to keep the local guides that were here before me on Mille Lacs going and, and, um, you know, to, or not to going, but to not take any business away from them. And, and, um, at the same time, I never see them again till they fly back the next year to go back. That's not, that's not true, Josh. You took John Hoyer out and he's from Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> Occasional true. exception. That's and you true. took Natalie fishing too. Yeah, that's true. It was, yeah, that's true. That was and, a project and, though. Yeah. Hoyer always asked me if I want to go catch a walleye and I just say, no, let's go smallie well, fishing. So. Let's, since Malax, before we get into your trips around the country, since Malax is such a popular destination, what what's going on up there right now? I mean, that lake is, it went from the hottest lake in the country to mm -hmm. the last couple of years, chilling a little bit. It's still great, obviously, but yeah. where, from your perspective, you've watched the boom and you've watched the transition. Where is it at right now in terms of the bass side of it and in the walleye yeah. side too? Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, it went, I don't think the smallmouth ever really slowed down. I think, um, you know, even, even when, Seth won. He was, you know, he had 23, 25 pounds, stuff like that, 26. Those kind of weights are still what you're going to need on the lake. I think some of those bigger six pounders and stuff, maybe, I mean, those were pushing 20 years, 20 years old at the time. So those might have, you know, passed on to a newer, newer generation. Um, it did take pressure, but it doesn't take pressure like any other lake in the country. Minnetonka takes far more pressure. Waconia takes far more pressure. Uh, places like Lake Gunnersville and Chickamauga take a thousand times the pressure that a place like Mille Lacs does. Um, you know, the walleyes definitely fell off, but you know, I don't want to get into politics too much, but what fun is that, walleyes. Josh? Let's get into politics. <laughs> yeah, people want to keep walleyes. You know, at the end of the day, they, <laughs> they, they want to keep yeah. them. So it, as long, you know, maybe you know, maybe limits need to be a little bit smaller at the same time. They finally got it together and they're letting people keep at least one a day. Now, um, I'm by far not a walleye fisherman. Don't even really know what to do to target them, but I catch them on accident all the time, every day on the water. So it looks like a pretty good factory to me, but I do think, you know, smaller limits and, and people being more responsible with the fish that they do have in their freezer. Uh, making sure they're utilizing it and not freezer burning and stuff. I think that would definitely help the fishery. But bottom line is anything that grows in Mille Lacs has got the potential to get big. Everything goes in swings. I know the perch is kind of on its way back right now. The perch is, is getting bigger. Obviously, walleyes are doing better if they're letting people keep them. And and the smallmouths are, are as good as they've ever been, really. Um, at the same time, they've just gotten smarter. And that's what happens with the technology boom. You know, we used to be able to, if a smallmouth came underneath my trolling motor, I was going to catch him 90% of the time. You know, now I catch that fish 10% of the time. And it's, it's just, they're getting smarter. They're adapting. God's got a way of, you know, protecting his babies. And that's just what happens. They adapt and they change. And, you know, we went from having one transducer on the boat to five graphs on the boat they they know they can feel that and so it just it's just changing the way that the that the fish are are um are adapting out on the lake but as far as as the lake like no i, th I think it did it, it took it you know it's definitely the smallmouth got it through that low walleye period 
Um, you know, you see people from Arkansas and Tennessee and Florida and stuff at the boat ramps and you know, they're out chasing bass. And at the same time, I, I just think that the fisheries in a, it's in a really good spot right now. Um, as far as the actual bite this year, you know, the, the small mouth are pretty much done spawning. I know the walleyes are getting back out on the mud and, um, and you know, we should start seeing those mayfly hatches and stuff like that coming any day with this, with this heat. So, um, but overall, you know, I, I think the bite has been, has been terrific. And the more and more that I get to know the lake and figure out its tendencies, the better and better I seem to think it's getting. When you mentioned the Southerners and I've been on Mille Lacs quite a bit over in my lifetime too, in the last mm-hmm. five years, the, the publicity it's gotten, I see, you know, Texas license plates or Louisiana or something like that. And then I, <laughs> I see them out there in the boat and they're throwing big lizards and things like yeah. Southern bass fishermen like to throw. Do they eventually figure it out? Cause sometimes I'm like, put us, put something with some hair on there, <laughs> like a little black thing yeah. with the hair on it, you know, or like a tube jig, you know, you got one of those in your tackle box or something like that. Do, do those Southerners ever stand a chance when they come up to that giant pond? Yeah. And sometimes they, they blow my mind in the way that they do catch them. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a very, it's not an easy lake to figure out. There's mm-hmm. definitely better smallmouth lakes as far as just numbers and, and getting bit. It's a big time glacial lake. I mean, it's big round bowl that gets real violent when the wind gets up. So you got that going against you. And, and, you know, just cause you caught them there one day does not mean you're going to even physically be able to get your boat there. Or if you do, you're going to be too loud. You're never, you know, the water's going to get real dirty. There's so many things about the lake, which is what I love about it. Uh, coming from being more of a Lake Minnetonka angler, um, with it's a real spot lake, you know, like location and spots. And and so is Malax, but it's so big that you can find new stuff every single day when you're on the water. But I, I, I think when people come here, I, I mean, I know for a fact, cause I get a lot of people, you know, telling me that, man, I've been here for three days and I've caught two bass. Are you available? And I'm just not, cause I book, I book early. I usually try to get them to somebody locally who can help them out and help them salvage a trip, but it's just not the easiest lake in the world. Um, to fish, you know, it's a glacial lake. It just, the glaciers melt and left rocks and stuff just laying about. So there's no rhyme or reason to anything. It goes up and down, up and down, up and down all over the place. But at the same time, you know, I, I, every now and then somebody tells me, comes in from out of town and tells me a way that they catch them with like a chatterbait or something that I end up throwing into my, um, deal and, and finding, you know, that there's, and that's the key with fishing. There's just, always going to be somebody that can do it better than you. So you just always got to be learning. You know, Josh, I was actually just sitting here thinking about kind of the, the reverse of this same topic. So you obviously, you know, grew up fishing in Minnesota and Mille Lacs. Um, for, for people listening that are also from this area that have aspirations of, you know, fishing some of the other, you know, famous lakes in the south of the country in Texas or in Florida or Alabama, how much does maybe from your own personal experience, did your experience fishing in Minnesota translate when you first started fishing lakes in the South or, or far from where we are right now? Yeah. Uh, um, Lake Minnetonka was great for that because you can do a lot of things from, you know, that does have some small mouth, definitely got large mouth. It's got weeds, it's got rocks, it's got docks, it's got lily pads, um, offshore stuff. So it was a great training ground. I also fished the Mississippi river a lot, which is most, more so like a reservoir and the fact that you got to stay with the rising water, uh, the color of the water's changing a lot. You got current, 
Um, but then there's a lot of things that just is not like we don't have shad. We have some shad on the Mississippi River, but we don't have it on our lakes. And shad is like the number one thing when it comes to fishing southern impoundments. Really, Florida probably fishes more like Minnesota than any of the other southern states uh, just because of their natural lakes with vegetation. You know, they got bluegills. They got a lot more of the same type of stuff that we have up here. So I found it, you know, yes, because we have so many different ways to learn how to fish in this state to take it to the next level. And I think we've proven that now. I just don't think there was an easy avenue. You know, you had like Jim Moynihan that that did it, but until Seth and myself and Austin and Andy and there's just so many of them now that have that have made it um, to the highest ranks of fishing and that come from Minnesota that clearly there has to be, you know, this is a great place to, to be from. I think we all just wish we'd have more national level events back here at home in our backyard instead of going to everyone else's all the time. Yeah, that's a good point. We we had John Hoyer on a couple of weeks ago and we talked about the the anglers that have come out of this area, the land of 10,000 lakes here and how we stack up against the rest of the competition out there. And obviously there's some big names that have come out of here recently in both the walleye and the bass fishing world. Do you feel like Minnesota Midwest anglers can compete anywhere. And what happens when a Southerner comes up here to fish? I mean, is it, is it, they drop to the bottom or do they rise to the top? Yeah, no, I mean, they, they, they definitely can do well. You know, you, you got to look like the two tournaments they did have at home that I can remember, you know, would both be on Mille Lacs and, and Seth won one at the first time, which, uh, it was going to be hard to beat them. You know, nobody really knew the lake at that time. And, and it's, it's not a pattern like per se. I mean, it is a pattern, but you still need to know, know locations and how to maneuver on the lake when the wind's doing certain things. Uh, but then, but then, you know, Keith Combs came here, a Texan and threw a giant football jig and reeled it on the bottom. And nobody, everyone here was like, what? And he, and he ran away with it. So there's just always a, I mean, a bass is a bass is a bass. So they still just, you know, I think I overthink it a lot. And Bree's line for me every morning is just go feed them their breakfast, you know, which is what it comes down to in the end. The bass is, is trying to stay alive and it's trying to eat. So you just need to know where those areas are and present it in a way that it doesn't see every single day to try to, to try to trick it into, you know, into biting. And um, so, I, you know, yeah, I think Minnesota definitely has almost everything you need to learn how to be a national level angler um, with the exception of the shad thing. You know, that's one reason why Bree and I moved to Tennessee. So I could spend some time in the Tennessee river places that I knew we were going to be a lot through my career and just kind of learn those little things. But then again, at the same time, um, fisheries down South, a lot of times are a couple few hours apart, which means that those lakes get just a lot, a ton of pressure and they can be super tough, you know, and, and of course, there's times a year that they're going to shine, but th- there's other times that it's really, really tough. And then an angler can come up here and fish a place like Lake Minnetonka or Lake Mille Lacs and find success because the bass or the walleyes or whatever, they, w- they want to bite more because we have 13,000 lakes that, that takes the pressure off of the fish. You know, and that's, that's a big thing to consider is that not everyone's going to just Lake Mille Lacs or just Lake Minnetonka. There's a thousand of them in between the two. Um, 
for for to take some of the pressure off and also teach people how to be good fishing and, and to be honest that's one of my favorite thing to do is just roll down gravel roads picking new lakes i've never been to and giving myself an hour to figure them out if i don't i'm down the gravel road to the next one. Oh, i love i love the adventure to try to find them to me that when i set the hook and i land i'm like oh that's it brie i want to bring you back into this conversation what's right. it what's it like Going into tournament day, there's so much on the line. There's so much pressure. Josh is probably feeling it. What's it like from your perspective to try to help him get in the right mindset to go out there and compete on the highest level? And then when things don't go the way that you both hope, what's it like to try to help him through those tournaments that you wish would go a little bit differently? Yeah. So on tournament mornings, uh, we normally are up at around 4 a.m. And from the hours of, of getting him up to getting him on the water, I am trying to remain as calm as possible, as cool as collected, you know, <laughs> as I can be. But then as soon as that boat takes off, I am I am just, I'm useless. And I don't really get much done with my day. And Bass Track is just, you know, I really try not to look at it, but it gets really difficult sometimes. Um, so I try to be as productive as possible and and not think about what's going on. I, I try to, I try to like plan things for that day so I can, you know, just not focus on that. You know what I mean? Um, but then, um, so yeah, those are my days, but then once he gets off the water and if he doesn't have the greatest tournament, then, you know, I just try to be there for him and be supportive and give him, give him whatever he needs, whether it's just dinner and to leave him alone or, you know, just, you know, shoulder to, to talk to, to, you know, talk about, you know, what happened with his day, you know, whatever. I try to, I try to be there for him for that. But then once the tournament's over, we kind of, we kind of have a rule where like you get that day to be poopy pants, but then like, we got to move on. Like we got to look forward and, and we got to, look to the next one and, and get in a better mood about things. So, you know, I was actually just saying this, just what you said, just reminded me of, you know, giving the opportunity, you know, if, if you're going to, as you said, be poopy pants that day, that's okay. And I was just seeing something uh, online somewhere, um, with, you know, couples of sometimes we, we can't all give a hundred percent and we can't all even give, you know, 50% as a couple sometimes. And the idea was like, if you know that you've just had a, a horrible day and you can only be at your 20% capacity, being able to share that with your partner and saying, Hey, I'm at 20% today. And if the other mm -hmm. partner can stand up and go, okay, I can be that 80% today, how that's how mm -hmm. you get through. And sometimes that's not possible, right? One partner is going to be at 20%. The other is going to be at 20%. And that's where you go like, okay, well, what can we do tonight to get through this? And as you mentioned, sometimes that's going to be giving space. Sometimes it's mm -hmm. going to be supporting and just kind of getting through that. And I think that, you know, as Travis, I think said at the beginning of this, how, how important it is to have a, a supportive partner on the road. You know, I can only imagine, um, you know, what that feels like for Josh from the outside. Um, but I want to ask along these lines, I'm sure there's been some high highs, some low lows. Bree, from your perspective, you know, when it comes to the, you know, experience in tournaments and life on the road, What's maybe one day or one memory that really stands out as a, a favorite or most memorable day for you? Oh, okay. Uh, probably when we were at Grand Lake, I think it was when we were still on the FLW tour and we were close enough to Pahuska, Oklahoma, that I got to go visit the Pioneer Woman set. That was awesome. <laughs> like that made my life. I'm both fishing related. Oh, oh, are we no, talking about great. 
No, I love it. Okay. I love it. Josh is like, I thought she was going to say when I hoisted the big trophy, but no. I was yeah. like, I know I got a check at that tournament. <laughs> I don't remember. What I do, I'm sorry, I totally misunderstood. No, the question. that that you well, did not misunderstand the question. That's great, and that speaks to you know what what you need to yeah. do to kind of get through those those days. How are my that does that? show <laughs> that does show some of the perks. Um, you know when when we are traveling, though, it's, it's stuff like that mm-hmm. that you might not ever really get to see or be able to make it a point when you have to drive through there for work and and you have time to and from places to be able to stop and, and do stuff like that. And one other cool thing is we don't, we don't have kids. We just got our little blue healer who's our, our hellion, but, um, a lot of the anglers on tour do, and, and they, they can stop at some of those places or when we're in DC fishing the Potomac and, and being able to do that and stop and kind of see some of the stuff that maybe they wouldn't have seen, um, any other time. But one other thing too, about the tournaments, like for Bree, I think it's much harder for me. I got so much to focus on fishing wise every day. And when, when the puck drops, it's, it's go time. You know, uh, she's, she's got a, like she said, she's essentially helpless there at during tournament hours and stuff. So I think she carries a big, a big burden like that because it is as emotional as, you know, high highs and, and, and low lows. But one thing I think is going to be important if anybody wants to become professional bass fisherman is you cannot have high highs and low lows. You really need to make sure that you just stay, you know, when you're happy when things are going good, not so happy when they're not. But at the same time, you're just going to have days that are are failure days. And literally every single angler, if they were to succumb to the failures, would be done right away. Um, and then same with those big days. You know, you just got to you got to be thankful you had them and, uh, and know that the progression is, is working in your favor and then, and then go from there. But I do think that's one thing that we both try to do is just not let our highs get too big. And, um, because there's always somebody there to knock you, knock you off. And that's just in the competitive world. That's what's going to happen. And at the same time, don't have too low lows because uh, your next day is going to be better. It's just the way, just the way the world works. Do you think when you look back on this journey that the two of you have been on that there'll be a moment or maybe you already have a moment that you say this is this was a turning point for us or this was a moment that will always be the greatest life lesson that we've taken from this picking up and and tackling this experience together this journey together? Um yeah, I'm sure, but at the same time I hope it's still coming too. Our yeah. plan is still coming. I'm um you know, I I still love the fishing aspect now more than ever, uh, don't really know what, I mean, it's a job. So I, I can't say that we don't work. I mean, it's, it's a job, you know, and it, it, there is a little bit of the aspect where my one real true hobby in life that brought me pleasure now became a job. And that's just a, a reality to it. So there's a lot of stuff that goes with, with that, um, with ups and downs and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, hopefully that moment's still coming, but there's obviously been, some pretty tremendous ones to get us to this point. Um, you know, and, and, and to this point already. Yeah. I wouldn't say there's been one pivotal. No. Moment yet, though, not really. no. no. One, Still waiting. Oh, go ahead, Brie. <laughs> oh, I'm done. That's all I had. Okay. So a few years ago, I filmed the story with my wife and we went on a horseback hunt on the Missouri river and the, just being able to share that experience together Um, and then, you know, telling the story and I can't even begin to tell you how much feedback I got from husband and wives. It's still the most feedback I've ever gotten on, 
show that I've ever produced. And husbands have thanked me, wives have thanked me, because it just they looked at it as an opportunity to do something together. And I think that's why I enjoy your story so much, is because you guys are doing it together. We know it's not easy. We know there's a lot of ups and downs in it. But you're you're going through it together. And to me, I just, I love that. Like, I just get excited about that. Maybe that's why people enjoyed watching my wife come out there on her first time on a hunt and experiencing that together. The two of us took so much away from that. I got to see her go through some struggles and then excel and then reach a goal. She got to see me in my element. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that, you know, like they they check out, they do their work and they come home and they've got family stuff, but then they might go fish on their own or they might go hunt on their own and then the wife might go do something else. But when you open up your favorite hobbies to your partner and do them together, there's just something more rich to that. Um, Do you find that the way that you two have gone about this together, ultimately left the corporate world behind, have you had other husband and wives reach out to you and ask how you've made it work or, or any advice that you could give them? I mean, not necessarily on how we're making it work, um, but I mean, we've definitely, you know, had people reach out and just, you know, say that, you know, that we're fun to follow and to watch and that they've been, you know, enjoying the journey and everything. Um, But I mean, at the end of the day, what makes this work is, you know, communication and that, you know, we're both, you know, pretty open with, you know, what, what we want to do. And um, yeah, yeah. I I can definitely it's been an inspiration to people. I, I see it more from the, the, the angler side, you know, of, of trying to show their significant other a path to maybe make their dream a reality like we did. Um, whether it's video, you know, we're not the only husband wife combo on tour right now. So it's kind of becoming a little bit more mainstream for anglers when they, when they get there to have their significant other do that, if that's something that they can do or want to do. So definitely get that kind of, definitely get that kind of stuff or questions on it. Um, but yeah, just, just the team thing. If you're gone, if you're gone away from each other, you know, too much that, that, that can be tough, you know? And I mean, there's obviously some positivities that can come from it, you know, your heart grows fonder or whatever, when you're away from somebody, there's no doubt about it, but tournament bass fishing can be real grueling as far as, you know, time gone and, and on the road. And especially that it's a Southern sport. And a lot of times we find ourselves super far places. So I just think, you know, as obviously we have a fan base that is into the fact that we do it together. Our sponsors are hugely into the fact that we do it, that we, this is something that we're doing, you know, as a family and as a team. Um, so I, I think that answers your question, you know? We lost. Hang Natalie. on one sec. She's back. Okay, I'm back. So you mentioned that there are other husband and wife teams on the tour, other even families on the tour. Is there, mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about the community or what it's like, yeah, from a community standpoint on these tournaments. Is it, you know, it's a competition. So is it like, do you look at everybody around you, the other families, the other teams as, you know, a competition or have you guys been able to make, you know, friends and build a community on the road? Oh, Lord, no, no. I mean, every, I mean, everybody for the most part is, is pretty much friends. I mean, obviously 
everybody's not going to get along with everybody else. But as far as, you know, family aspect and stuff, yeah, it's awesome. Um, you know, we camp and so there's a lot of other people that are camping and um, it just, it's a great opportunity to, you know, get to know all of those families because really otherwise we only see everybody at tournaments and it's for, you know, one hour during, you know, those nine weeks that, you know, everybody truly gets to see each other. Um, so when we're camping, you know, everybody's always together, you know, there's cookouts at night, you know, they do, you know, we're doing activities together. The kids are going off and doing stuff and, um, it's pretty awesome. You know, you get to meet a lot of people on the road and, and have some really awesome experiences and go great places. And it's, it's great if families are able to do this. I mean, honestly, some of them, like some of the, they're all just homeschooled. A lot of them aren't even in traditional school and the experiences and the life that those kids have compared to the ones that are sitting in the classroom. Like it's incredible. The things that these kids get to see. Very cool. So um, that's, her, that's her answer. I'm going to give you mine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all competition. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You no, want to win. You're, you're dealing with the top 100 anglers in the world that got there by a, a lot of hard means to get there. Um, they, you know, the, the guys I'm fishing against want, want to win and they want everyone else to take last place if that was possible it, during those competition hours. With that said, though, uh, with the information rules, stuff, there's not a lot of people we can talk to except our competitors. So it becomes yeah. like a, a brother, like a brotherhood, if you will, of leaning on each other to kind of learn certain techniques. And, and definitely, like, like I said, everyone wants to beat me and I want to beat everyone, but I don't think anyone would leave me stranded on the water. And that's something that it's a good hardcore competitive circuit to be fishing. But yes, at the same time, you know, you find a a ton. It's, it's amazing that, that you're trying, you mean, we're competing for everything, sponsor dollars for fish placing for everything. We're competing against each other, but at the end of the day, we're still, you know, you have such a big network. And then as Bree said, the the family side of it all and the barbecues and stuff like that. And just, a place to stay while we're traveling when we're in another state. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty awesome. Biggest influence in your fishing life, Josh? Oh, uh, probably Al Winder. I just saw, I just like Al, you know, I mean, I I'm lucky that I have two fathers. I come from a divorced family. They're like, my parents had divorced, divorced when I was really young and remarried when I was really young. So I just never really knew any different. Uh, so I've had, I've had some really good family members. Both my dad and my stepfather are, are, you know, they're into fishing. One's more into crappies. The other one's more into walleyes. Neither one of them really cared a heck of a lot about a bass, but they sure do like to go with me now. My uncle Jeff, he passed away, um, in his forties, but he would have been like probably traveling with me if, if he, if like we we were, we were really pretty close and, uh, and he, he was never able, he had, had cancer when he was younger and was never able to have children. So he kind of took to me and, and, brought me, you know, pheasant hunting and just a lot of stuff in the outdoors to a trip up by the Canada border, uh, fishing. And he was the one in the family that was into bass more so. But again, I, grandparents, when you come from a big giant divorce family, you got several grandparents, so many, uh, different people on my family side. But, uh, you know, Al was always, um, a legitimately good bass, legitimately good fisherman that could also teach and, and is a and is still to this day is such a good teacher of fishing that it's and you know a hometown guy that uh, he was definitely one that I've always just kind of looked at as as would like to resemble my career around to the best of my ability. 
Uh, he's straight into the Hall of Fame, no doubt about that. Yes, sir. Yes, okay, sir. so you've fished all over the country now. Favorite bass fishery outside of Minnesota right now? That's a tough one. Um, you can pick a couple. Take two or three, yeah, four. Lake Kissimmee in Florida, Lake Fork in Texas, or Santee Cooper in South Carolina. Why? Um, those are my largemouth fisheries because they're just flat loaded with big ones. Uh, Texas DNR does such a good job managing that lake. It's a real small lake. They, they do a great job in Texas, period. Uh, Florida does a great job. I mean, they're making new lakes. They're flooding out orange groves and making new lakes and stocking it full of bass. And, uh, you know, they're not just doing that out of the kindness of their heart. They're doing that because it's so good for the economy and it keeps people wanting to travel in and, and, um, catch fish and spend money at the bars and the restaurants and the grocery stores and the gas stations. Um, but they're all, those lakes are just phenomenal fisheries right now. Uh, when it comes to smallmouth bass, literally anything on the great lakes, that's my favorite style of fishing. That's what I enjoy the most. I think I like those other three because they're warm when it's cold in Minnesota. <laughs> so Bria, I have to ask, what's your favorite tournament location outside of Minnesota? And to be very clear, it, the reason does not have to be fishing related. What's your favorite place oh, to go and why? Thank you. Cause it will not be fishing. <laughs> um, probably, uh, uh, like the, the thousand or, uh, um, yeah, thousand Saint Island, St. Lawrence, Lake Ontario area where we're actually headed later on this summer. Um, it's just such a cool area. It reminds me of being home. Um, the weather's always beautiful. The people are cool. The scenery is amazing. They have castles. Like I did castle tours. That was amazing. Um, it's just, it's just such a cool area. Cool. I love it. And the so fishing's much. awesome. There. <laughs> yeah. Fish. I hear they have fish. <laughs> okay. So on the same subject, then best fishing culture in America that you've experienced, is it Minnesota? I mean, you can say if we, if we rank on top. No, no, no. Minnesota, Minnesota's good. Minnesota's good. Um, we do have a great, a great fishing culture here um are we top five uh yeah i mean for actual that's fishing a, that's a no school, yeah. it's a solid no based on that you're not hurting my feelings i i would say for sure we do but multi-species mm-hmm. so you know you get down into the south and you got bass and you got catfish yeah. you know so it's it's the bass fishing community I mean, you pull into some areas as a Bassmaster Elite Series angler and you may as well be playing for the Yankees, you know, like that's just the culture is bass fishing down there. And um, um, we're up here. Yeah. Fishing as a culture. Sure. We're, we're a big outdoor uh, state. We have phenomenal fishing, but we have muskies and northerns and walleyes and river fishing and glacial waters and city lakes. And we, we just got a great fishing location. Uh, we take care of our, our lakes here. You know, people definitely accept fishing and stuff, but heck you can be, you know, down South and people come out and ask you if you need some iced tea and a sandwich or something, you know, while you're fishing their boat dock. I get yelled at when I fish people's boat docks, uh, here for the most part, but we, we do, we have a huge fishing culture, but when it comes to bass fishing culture, you know, Texas is going to be right there. Uh, Alabama, but we have welcome fisherman signs on every bar That's in true. every town yeah, up like here. They, like, yeah, they have, and you know, if uh, you know, if they, if you have a big time pro lives in the city, you're probably going to see home of his name uh, up on a dang 
water tower somewhere. Like they fishing, bass fishing's the real deal um, down south, and That's there's just so not cool. a whole heck of a lot down there to compete with it as a whole. So you know Tennessee, you know that that whole bass belt there, Tennessee, Alabama, uh, Georgia, Florida. Texas that that's they got a really big time bass culture and they they cater to bass fishing um you know down there pretty is, amazing is it higher than football does it rank up above football it's right in there and bass college fishing, football bass, not nfl yeah yeah college football would be yeah it ranks higher than probably pro ball uh in the south but college college football that's like a they're, religion they're down neck and neck that's a religion down there but definitely their ba- their bass fishing is too where here in minnesota you know i still get the oh you're pro pro fisherman you know what do you fish for and i say bass and they're like oh you know <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's it can go both ways but i'll tell you what i know minnesota has an absolute huge market that is growing ex- What's the word I'm looking for? Exponentially. Exponentially. That we got you. It is growing a lot when it comes to bass fishing as a market area. Um, you know, people are spending a lot of money on the sport. They're wanting a lot of information about it. And I just think it's in due time. Uh, it will get loud enough in the room that we start seeing more events coming to, to the state uh, as a general rule. Josh, I'm just thinking, cause you're mentioning some of these like, you know, big names in the bass fishing world or about them. You've been in the game for a long time now, but especially early on, did you ever get starstruck or intimidated? No. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like I know most all the anglers presently that are there, you know, I'd probably still, you know, like Kevin Van Dam or something. I'd I'd probably still like, you know, don't know what to say or whatever, (laughs) but yeah, a hundred percent I did. It was actually to a fault. You know, I'd show up for my first couple Bassmaster opens and see, a uh, guy like Mike Iaconelli or Denny Brower or somebody, you know, Rick Klon running around and, and you're just like, <sighs> you know, like, I don't know what I'm doing or mm-hmm. I, you know, I haven't gotten a bite in two days and they're not even fishing. They're just looking at their graph and I'm just shaking in my boots. Like, what did I sign up for <laughs> here? So yeah, I did. But at, at the same time, I, to be dead honest with you, I, I, right out of high school, I got a job with the Marriott. I was going to go that way, um, into the hospitality world, ended up going restaurants for a little while or for a a long while being a bartender. I've just met so many like uber famous people from Master P to Garth Brooks to new kids on the, you name it, man. Mm -hmm. I've met so many different sports stars. Randy Moss on his first day as a Minnesota Viking um, was like my first day at the Marriott. So I just (laughs) learned right away um, that people are just people. And if you just treat them like they're regular people, you'll probably get a real conversation out of them. So that that definitely helped. I I came from an area where I I met a lot of celebrities, um, you know, early in my teenage and early 20s that, um, you know, I just... It wasn't that. It was just more of a, oh boy, I hope I don't suck. You know, so you didn't teach Randy the straight bass, homie. Right, right. Like you know, you, you meet Randy Moss and you know you can't <laughs> get the football better yeah. than the dude. So, but when you're, you know, but if I was looking at him like, man, I got to catch the football better than him, yeah. I'd have probably been super duper starstruck. Like, and that's how it was for me w- with anglers that I'd watched on TV, and and literally just it was a a pipe dream, you know, it was just like, a. I didn't know, like, that's what I wanted to do, but I didn't know how it was going to get, get there, you know? And so 
So it was just kind of seeing it all come to a reality. Um, but it's more like when a certain angler, like when I top 10 to cup and certain anglers send you, uh, you know, respect or something like that. That's when you're going to get me more starstruck when it's yeah, like, that's cool. Wow, that, that's badass. So I have a very important contribution to make to the conversation. Um, but I, you taught, Randy, I everything said, yeah, knows, everyone get you? ready. Everyone get ready. But, uh, I always say I don't get starstruck. I have to say, I had the opportunity to also meet Randy Moss and fish more or less with them a couple years ago. And that's the first time in my life that I was like, this is Randy Moss. I don't, I can't, I don't know what I'm saying right now. Really? I don't know what's coming out of my face. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Got to witness him do some fishing and he did say straight bass, homie. So. He did say it? Yes. Yeah, so I, I was. It. I love it. Yeah. My, my did you say it back? Satisfied. Did you hold on up and say, I don't Randy. know. Your guess is as good as mine, Travis. I don't, <laughs> don't know. I don't know. We'll go back and look at the footage. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Josh, Bree, we sure appreciate you guys taking some time out of your day today. And we wish you nothing but the best on the rest of your uh, tournaments this season and for your seasons to come. If people want to follow your life in the bass lane, where would they find you? Uh, yeah, mine's uh, Josh Douglas Fishing on everything. YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. I usually keep those three rocking and rolling pretty nice. on a pretty regular basis. Every now and then I TikTok, but not post, there. Post news updates on his website, joshdouglasfishing.com. Yep, yeah, so at Josh Douglas Fishing on all the channels and then joshdouglasfishing.com for the website. And we do know for the record that it's 75% Bree. And 25% yes. Josh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe 80, 20, something like that. Yeah. And Brie, you've got your own pages too, right? Um, I'm pretty much way. just Instagram, uh, which I'm terrible at updating, but uh, Brie Douglas photography is, is my Instagram page right now. Awesome guys. Keep on inspiring, keep on fishing and uh, hoisting those big trophies, Josh. We enjoy following Thanks. your journey. Thanks again for having us. And you, Thanks, you guys. too, you make a great duo. Love to see it. Um, been a big fan of both you and your content for quite a while. So please keep it coming. Thanks, Thank guys. you both. Appreciate right. it. We yeah. will be back in a few days with another episode of the Do North Outdoors podcast. Yeah.